Hi everyone and welcome to another sauntering podcast with me, Paul White. I'm coming to you from the beautiful town of Weymouth in Dorset by the sparkling blue sea. It never rains, it's always sunny. This podcast began during lockdown. We galloped through or sauntered through many, many books of the Bible now. I'm a disciple of Jesus and my job is to encourage you and encourage other people to walk with him. everyone, welcome to another saunter and today I just want to share some things which I really feel God has kind of impressed on me and often when God is teaching us there's a process that he's kind of putting us through in our own hearts and sometimes it has to be said that those times are quite challenging and difficult and require quite a lot of digging deep and just trying to find um, really to know his heart in the middle of that particular season that we're in and to be honest as well I get a bit frustrated when people say oh you're going to be going into a new season and all this kind of thing but there is no doubt as well in my mind that God does um, deal with us in seasons and there are times when something is particularly being impressed on us and um, I've been really really enjoying just dwelling in the book of Acts for a few weeks and just re- I love the book anyway and I've been going through it again and again and just kind of going back over it reading it going back a couple of chapters and rereading and just meditating and reflecting on the whole thing and there's been this 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 kind of sense as I've looked at the particularly the clash of cultures and the clash of kingdoms as Paul and Barnabas, but before that, the Jerusalem apostles and the church in Jerusalem. Um, there's this persecution that comes on them and it seems to be just an irresistible force of nature, I'm sure that they would have wanted to pray that the persecution would stop and they'd be able to get on with their lives peaceably and stuff. But actually what happened was the persecution really intensified and scattered these Christians around the known world. The exciting thing was that wherever they landed, just like dandelion seeds, they began to preach the gospel and the kingdom of heaven began to spring up around. People would turn to Jesus and receive the message of Jesus some really interesting developments happened as ordinary people laid hands on people for healing, began to see signs and wonders and those kinds of things happening. And we see this incredible spread of the gospel. But anyway, then there comes a period where the Apostle Paul, who had formerly been a absolutely evil persecutor, had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, famous famous moment in history and probably the greatest apostle other than Jesus himself is born in that moment of encounter. Um, Then there's a period of seclusion and relative obscurity for Paul 
and then he comes back into play and begins to be very effective. And in Acts chapter 13, he's sent out from the city of Antioch with a guy called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and they are sent out as apostles. So they're not sent from Jerusalem, but they're sent from a Gentile city called Antioch. And they go off on their travels, and they see God doing amazing things, and they see the gospel spreading, and they realize that they're being effective, and interestingly, they're going to completely non-Jewish communities, but they often work with the Jews and start with the Jews and then it begins to spread outwards. Anyway, so they get to this city called Lystra and we have this mirror image of something that happened with Peter and John in the earlier part of the book when they raised up this guy who was a cripple. He'd been crippled from birth and so here we have the story in Acts chapter 14. I'll just read it now at Lystra. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. (laughs) So here's Paul and Barnabas, servants of Jesus, suddenly being mistaken for Greek gods. And it's so interesting because what the the locals have done is interpreted these events, which are clearly God-powered, God-inspired events. They've, they've interpreted them through their own kind of limited understanding of God. And they, that for them, that was the Greek mythology that we call now Greek mythology. And so they assume that Barnabas must be Zeus and and Paul Hermes, his kind of spokesperson. And so the chief priest of Zeus, he's got his own temple just down the road and he's come now with oxen and garlands to the gates and wants to make sacrifices to Barnabas, which is actually quite funny, but it's really interesting because they say this is the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And of course, God had come down, not just in the likeness of a man, but as a man, that's Jesus. But now he's returned to heaven. And these people who are here in the city of Lystra doing this miracle are in the name of Jesus. They are Jesus's disciples and Jesus's friends. And these guys have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. They've been Christed. It's like Jesus is formed in them. They're being they're operating in the spirit of Jesus and has done and have done this incredible miracle. And so when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, verse 14, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, i.e. your bogus gods and stuff, to a living God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Now, Paul is going to try and do a little bit of discipleship and theology upgrade in a very short period of time. So he says, in past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so Paul's trying to unpack really quickly the nature of God, the goodness of God, as evidenced by his provision of food and rain and stuff like this, nice weather and all these things, and bringing kind of joy to our hearts even by having good food and gladness and friendship and everything else. But verse 18, it says, Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So this is a bit of a euphoric moment, isn't it? And so these disciples are suddenly the talk of the town. They're super popular and they would have been interviewed on all the TV channels if that was today. But verse 19, we have this this backlash which comes almost immediately. And it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. These, the Jews are so motivated to squash the message of Paul and Barnabas and the early church. They're doing their utmost. In fact, they've lost their top player, who was Saul, who became Paul. They've lost him, in, but they're, they're sort of frantically chasing around the countryside, trying to catch up with Paul to shut him up because his message is so persuasive. It's so powerful and people are believing and they're losing ground. The Jewish religion is losing ground to the way of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus that Paul and the others are preaching. So Jews came from Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas were sent from initially. They came from Antioch and Iconium. So they're kind of gathering momentum like a big snowball as they you know, as they roll on. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. I just want to stop there for a second. So they've now turned the mood of this huge crowd who are all there cheering Paul and Barnabas on in one breath. Now, because of the skillful manipulation of these Jewish guys who've come from Antioch and Iconium, they've persuaded this whole crowd who have turned against Paul and Barnabas, and they stone Paul and drag him out of the city, supposing he's dead. Now, I think we're guilty sometimes of reading these little verses and moving on, and we think, oh, that was a bit of a bit of a turn of events. But can you imagine you're Paul? You've spent these years of your life persecuting Christians, dragging them out. You literally supervised the stoning to death of Stephen, and he became the first Christian martyr. You literally were there like as the official legal representative witnessing that execution, you dragged men and women and children out of their homes and you threw them in prison because of their faith in Jesus. And now it's all caught up with you and it's happening to you. And you can imagine, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I can imagine a multitude of thoughts, like literally cascading through Paul's mind, like, oh, well, I did this to Stephen, 
now it's finally caught up with me. I guess I've got what I deserve. My bit of time enjoying the grace of Jesus was nice while it lasted, but I guess it was too much to hope for and God's caught up with me. Maybe God's turned his... Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine? Like, these are not little pebbles they're throwing at Paul. They're not trying to get him to leave. They're trying to kill him. These would be rocks the size of bricks and half bricks. And they would be raining down on Paul. He put up his arms to defend himself. His arms would get broken, smashed. His ribs would be smashed. His cheekbones, his head, his skull, his face, his nose, his lips, teeth knocked out. It would be absolutely brutal. And then to leave him, him for dead, having dragged him out of the city, I would imagine somebody would have picked up a rock and dropped it on his head to finish him off to make sure. They were not playing games, these guys. This was a, They considered it to be a legitimate way of executing somebody who was preaching heresy. And so they've left him there dragged him out of the city supposing he's dead man can you imagine what a bloody mangled broken heap of humanity this is left here on the ground but verse 20 says but when the disciples gathered ab about him he rose up and entered the city it doesn't say they helped him to his feet and or put him on a donkey or carried him on a stretcher or any of these other things or helped him between two people. It says that he rose up and entered the city. So he's, it seems as if he's moving by his own power. He's, he's able well enough to move. And yet a few minutes ago, he's been left for dead by a lynch mob. Now there is clearly a miracle of healing that's just happened here. And it says, and on the, so he's entered the city, it seems under his own power. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So he's well enough to travel. And it goes on to say, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city. So he's gone on to preach in Derby the next day or at least he's travelled on the next day and is soon preaching again, and made many disciples. So this is not a man who's literally on a life support system having multiple broken bones and punctured lungs and all the rest of it, teeth knocked out, broken jaw. This is a man who is healed and restored and back on his feet again. So... There's this moment, isn't there, where perhaps he, I would imagine he slipped into unconsciousness. It would be like the lights are going out in his mind and suddenly it's all gone dark. Was he at that point thinking, this is it, this is the end of my life, I've, I've run the race, I've done what you asked me to do, Jesus, I'm sorry it was over so quickly. Is that what's going on in his mind? Is he broken and discouraged? We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us, but what we do know is that was a tough experience to go through. That was brutal. Humanly speaking, it was incredibly painful. 
But now there's a miracle, which is brilliant because all glory goes to Jesus whenever there's a miracle. We all know that those disciples couldn't have healed him, even if they were all doctors and paramedics. They couldn't have got him up on his feet like that and then sent him off the next day to go on and carry on preaching. So this is a miracle of God's divine intervention. And I love that it happens when the disciples gather round. So I just want to kind of sow that thought. You may be broken and even the devil thinks, there we are. I've finished him off. I've finished her off. I can leave them for dead now. They're finished. Get the disciples to gather round. Let the Holy Spirit begin to move and create that work of healing, that miracle of healing in your own heart, maybe. It's like... You're, you feel like maybe your ministry has come crashing to an end. It's like you're just there lying on the ground, battered and bruised and bloody, maybe metaphorically or maybe physically, I guess. And yet there is a point just as your eyes close and you feel like it's all gone, it's all slipped away, where gather the disciples round. And let them pray and let there be that moment of healing and restoration. Anyway, so there, here comes the miracle. He goes on to preach. And let's he- read what happens next. And when he had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned. Where did he return to? He returned to Lystra. That's the place where he's just been stoned a few weeks before and left for dead brutalized by the Jewish rabble-rousers. He's actually now returned, he and Barnabas have now returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. They literally retrace their steps. And what are they doing? Verse 22, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Um, And and this is is really interesting for me because the word there for tribulation, the Greek word, it means to be squashed and squeezed from every side, like immense pressure. And it can also be used in the process of giving birth that process of squeezing where the where the mother's womb squeezes that nice cozy little baby until it's intolerable and then the birth canal begins to open and the the baby is forced down this tiny improbable canal and really there's only one way of there's only one direction of travel and it's through and out isn't it but it's with great pressure and squeezing and tribulation this baby is born and and so Paul is now his message has now shifted and he's not only talking about Jesus but he's also saying through great tribulation and some of the people that he would have been talking to no doubt had been going through their own trials and had been dislocated from their homes because of the persecution in Jerusalem maybe maybe whatever but For generations, this verse speaks to us. 
And it's it's so profound because Paul has been through his own moment of great tribulation and great trial to the point where he even despaired of death. And in another place, he talks about we are hard pressed on every side. And he talks about being shipwrecked and hounded and persecuted and stoned and left for dead and all these other things. And he lists them as kind of trials and tribulations. But these are times of squeezing. And the squeezing is also part of the formation of our hearts as disciples of Jesus. We can start to think, why is this happening to me? Paul could have said, why is this happening to me? Has God forsaken me? Has God abandoned me? I mean, Jesus on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, of course, Jesus knew that God had not forsaken him, but he's kind of crying out from his human soul. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Paul would have been, you know, we could, we would say, well, we wouldn't have blamed him if he'd had a few of those thoughts while the stones are raining down on him. And now he's using this. If you read just 22 again, it says that he went back to these cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And this is his message, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so there is this sense which even though we have believed, we've been born again, we've entered his kingdom, yet there's still a process sometimes of tribulation and squeezing and pressure and circumstances bearing on us and difficult people bearing on us and life challenges bearing on us that drive us to the point sometimes of almost despairing of life. And in that squeezing, God is forming us and is shaping us. And when Paul is back on his feet and he's returned, he's got another piece of revelation, another piece of insight in his message. He's got another aspect of his message. And there's a breakthrough and you read on through the chapter and and it says, and and when they had appointed elders, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he's they're kind of really reinforcing the church and making it stronger than ever. So the, this is the apostolic ministry in operation here. Verse 24, it says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed on to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. And so in the midst of the squeezing, in the middle of all that horrible pressure that stretches us to breaking point sometimes, God is forming us and shaping us and opening us up for another season, another another breakthrough, if you like. And so for the baby that's being squeezed through the birth canal, there's only one direction of travel possible. But at the end of that birth canal is life as a 
born person, as a, a baby who can become, grow up and become a toddler and an adult and so on. And they get to live their lives. And so when I just feel like God is wanting me to share this kind of, to encourage you that even when the squeezing is on and it, the pressure is on from every side, look for the miracle, look for the breakthrough, gather the disciples around and say, can you pray with me? Can you hold me? If you think about Peter, Jesus said, Satan, he talked to the disciples, he was talking to his disciples and he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And he's looking at all of his disciples using you as a um, plural address. And, and, then, and then he says, but I've prayed for you, Peter, singular, that your faith will not fail. And when you return, strengthen the brethren. When you return. So if you feel like this is the crappiest horriblest situation I've ever been in. Nothing in my life has prepared me for this. I believe that in the squeezing comes the forming and then the breakthrough and the the kind of fullness of what God has been bringing us into becomes evident as we look back on the whole series of events. There have been some really horrendous squeezings in my life, which I've gone into before on other podcasts and other talks and preaches and so on videos, which you can look at. But to say this, that I am so grateful that number one, God has never left me, but that even in the squeezing, as I've come through those periods of time, I find that my faith is stronger and deeper. And I've understood something more about the heart of God and his incredible faithfulness. So that's all for me. I'm sorry about the fact that someone decides to do streaming just as I'm in full swing. But anyway, God bless you. Have an amazing day. If you've enjoyed this podcast, that's brilliant. That's exactly what I hope for. Please do share it, like it, pass it on, get it out there. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day.